Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you, whether you're in here or out there. And blessings on those who can't be with us. I think there's quite a big bunch at Wildfires. So blessings to them. And um, actually, just two seconds ago, I was thinking, I was thinking, yeah, what amazing this last four days, Jubilee, etc. Every time, if you ever wondered whether God answers prayer, I know that's a funny thing to say for a vicar. Um, every time we sing the national anthem, cleverly, that's a prayer, isn't it? Um, one of the lines goes, long to reign over us. God has been pleased to answer that prayer. So may God continue to save and bless the Queen, however long she has here. So really good to uh, be with you, but good to be back. Um, for those who don't know, we have a wonderful partnership. It's about 14 years old now with a part of Western Kenya, which is very poor. And uh, we have the opportunity to interact with them in different ways. People from here going out there, there'll be another trip later in the year. I've had a huge privilege of being involved in that uh, from the beginning and have just come back from there midweek with a small team. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Re- I, I don't like to compare the different visits, but we really saw God move in a way that is uh, incredibly invigorating and just stimulating. I personally have come back much more hungry with an increased hunger for the more of God to to rededicate myself and to encourage all of us to rededicate ourselves to whatever it is that we need to do on our side of things for God to move more powerfully. Obviously, that's he's sovereign, but as as we'll see. But uh, we had a really, really good time. So if you're in any way involved in praying for us, thank you very much. And I didn't know who was going to be here, but I've seen Kevin is there. So Kev, just pop up. And say, what do I mean by God moving powerfully? Um, and I don't know, have two or three minutes. Tell us two or three stories. Um, I know <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for your prayers. We didn't see tongues of fire or wind, but we saw, saw everything else, I think, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. when, um, so just two, two days. The first day, Sunday, we were split up into teams. Mm. So I went with Luke and Helen to a quite a remote Maasai church. And it was a, a really shaky a journey for an hour, and it was called Old Shaky Church, which was quite appropriate. Um, and uh, wonderful, wonderful Maasai Church. And Helen spoke, Helen's here, um, and gave an, we gave a gospel appeal, uh, and one Maasai man came forward to give his life to Jesus. And it was wonderful, because the whole church then greeted him after mm. we prayed for him. And then at one point, an old lady grabbed him, and they burst into tears, both of them. And the pastor said, that's his mother. And, and it, you know, we pray for, then we pray for the whole family, and it was, it was a wonderful time. Um, and then we, we called people forward, about 40 or 50 people came forward to be prayed over, and then we, we broke for tea and, and, and food. And I said to the, to the pastor, look, is there anyone with sickness in their bodies? We don't want to leave here unless we've had a chance to pray for that, because I wasn't quite sure what was going on, because it was most of in uh, Swahili or Kimasai. So um, he, he brought a lady into the vestry, because uh, they have vestries and things like that, Anglican, things like that. And, um, and we went into the vestry and we prayed for this lady called Gladys who had uh, head, chest and stomach pains. I think she had poor sight, she had stomach ulcer. And um, we, we sensed that she had a, a, spirit, a spirit of anxiety. Mm. So we prayed against that first, broke that off her, mm. and then we prayed for her one by one and her head, chest and stomach was healed. This was Gladys. So Gladys went out, okay, praise God, and Gladys went out, and then the pastor said, oh, could you pray for me, because I've got this bad back, uh, back pains in my leg. And they came on suddenly when he was just driving his motorbike, which was strange. So I said, where were you? He said, I was driving through a Muslim village. So I thought, oh, then we, we sensed there might be Muslim witchcraft, Muslim charms. So we broke that off him, and then prayed for his back, and his back and legs were, were healed instantly. And he gave testimony later in the week uh, that that had happened, and that the pains hadn't come back. So that was good. <laughs> okay. But then... Um, they, they said, is there any other people? They said, well, come into the church. And there were loads of Maasai women in the church. 
Um, and the next lady we prayed for, a great big tall Maasai lady called Mary, and she had a similar thing to Gladys, head, chest, and stomach, spirit of anxiety. And, and she had poor eyesight because of the, the head stuff, you know? So we prayed for that first, and her eyesight was restored, but she still had head pains. So I felt we need to get her singing, worshipping. And she didn't know Waymaker, which I wanted to sing, but there's a little girl who did. But we got her to sing in Maasai. I wanted to sing three times. She sang twice and then couldn't sing anymore. I thought, something strange here is a blockage. So I got the little girl who was eight years old who could sing Waymaker to sing over her. And it broke through, and then she was healed in it. All, all the pain went from her head, chest, and, and stomach. So that's good. <laughs> But then, we, I realized there's another nine women, I think it was, another month with exactly the same thing. Mm. And, I, and I said, well, you've, they all had anxiety, and they all had these, these, these three sets of pains. Some of them had reduced eyesight. So we got them all together. I just felt we'd pray all, all as one. One lady was even breastfeeding her baby at the same time and carried on whilst the Holy Spirit came on her and whilst she and all the nine women were healed of their head, chest, and stomach pains. Mm. Um, and one lady said, oh, I can, see, oh lady, I can see you better now. I said, am I more handsome? And she said, yes. And that, so it was either she was lying or she was a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we never heard the end of it. So, uh, <laughs> so that was Sunday. I just mentioned Monday um, because we've been praying right from the start that the Holy Spirit would break into this group. Because we were teaching about 40, 50 uh, pastors and lay readers. And we wanted them, the Holy Spirit to come and empower them from day one. And we've been praying into that. And when we met with the very first, the very first session, uh, Tim opened up. And we invited people forward after the session, after, after some worship. And um, uh, as a whole group of people came around the front. And, and, and amongst them were nine men. So they're all pastors or lay readers. And they all had um, pains in their heads. So what we'd said to them was actually, we don't want you distracted during your teaching sessions. So if any distractions you've got, mm. bring them to the front. Mm. So if that's a, a, a worried about you leaving your loved ones, if there's financial worries or any, any pains in your head, bring it to God now. Let's, let's sort this right from the start. And nine of them had head pains and they were all in a row. And, and, and as we prayed over each one of them, healed, 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 mm. six, seven, Eight, mm. nine. Mm. So it was, it was just a, mar- a marvellous time. It mm. um, t- takes some processing, but uh, there's power in the name of Jesus. That's what I came away with every yeah. single time. Yeah, so much. Thank you. Thanks, Kev. Yeah, just pop it on that stand. Thanks, Kev, so much. And, and plenty more stories, to be perfectly honest, of, of different sorts. I might include one or two if, I, if I've got time this morning. But, um, yeah, I, I never want to, be, uh, to take any of that for granted. Um, But on the other hand, I don't want to be surprised, because actually if Pentecost is about anything, if our history tells us anything, if the the stories in the book tell us anything, if the experience uh, over the years tells us anything, it's that God does this. He he does this. This is part of what he does in all kinds of different ways, not just those kinds of ways. And so we want an expectation, do we not, that God does this. And, and one, one of those conundrums is, and I come back with it now, it's, okay, Lord, we, almost, literally almost everything that we prayed for got healed, God healed uh, last week. And, and you think, well, what, why, why there and not here and, and all those questions? I'm not really going to address that. But I do want us, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit today, this pen, every day is a Pentecost day, but, you know, we, t- t- today is Pentecost again. So rightly we focus on it. Has there ever been a more preached passage in this church over the last three decades than Acts 2? Probably not. But we, we, we just want that the Lord 
Lord to raise our expectation and our hunger. I've come back more hungry. I hope you're already hungry and you can feed my hunger and I can feed yours. But we need to see the more of God. Because Pentecost is about power. Turn to Acts 2. Not that we're going to read it again. Nikki read it earlier. Uh, have it open though because I just think it's really good to, to, to see those words in front of you as familiar as they are. The first part of Acts 2. Here's Pentecost again. And may God you know, bring it alive, this familiar passage to us again and, and make us alive as we, as we read it. It's about all kinds of things, but inescapably, it's mainly about power. It just is. And so I want to say, here's a phrase to, to, to latch on to, that the Holy Spirit is the powerful presence of God himself. He's not an it or an impersonal force. He is the powerful presence of God himself, given to the people of God, gathered in that place, us gathered here, for the purposes of God. That's just a phrase I, I'd want us to, to latch on to. I want to show you a picture. I've shown it before, um, but, but I like it, so I'm going to show it again. Uh, and, and it's of uh, a dam. I find it a helpful picture. Look at this photo of a great river, great dam. It's the Aswan High Dam in, in the River Nile in Egypt. Over two miles wide, 370 feet high, completed in the 1970s. And during the construction of this dam, the River Nile was not completely uh, blocked up. So they were building the thing, and that was, obviously the water was backing up behind it, but there was a part of the river that was allowed to flow around the side. And downstream of that, there were people for whom that was their life source. They'd wash in it and drink in it and, you know, feed their fish in it and, and uh, do... What? Oh, did I say the wrong thing? <laughs> Brain ache. Still recovering from Kenya. And, um, and also, that, it, was, it was important to them. Uh, and, and so... Pentecost is then like the, the opening of the Aswan Dam because whilst that was uh, continuing to happen in 1971 where the dam was actually opened and the dam burst, next picture, something extraordinary happens. There's this explosion. I don't, I don't understand what this means, but there are 12 giant turbines and each of them has a capacity to generate 10 billion kilowatts of electricity per hour. And so that power was then unleashed and spread far beyond just a few towns and villages further downstream. That brought possibilities beyond their dreams. Enough power, in fact, to light every city in the entire nation of Egypt at that time. Pentecost happens. It's like the opening of the Aswan Dam. That's why I like the picture. Before Pentecost, before the, the dam burst, the river of God's Holy Spirit is still there. For sure, still flowing, blessing the people of Israel, sure. He was their source of life because he always has been. He's the only source of life, even in times when they, they didn't realize it. But after Acts 2, after those explosive events, the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed in a whole new way, given now for the whole people of God to be able to light up, as it were, the entire world with his love and power and bring possibilities that, 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 that we could only dream about. So none of, the, uh, none of the benefits of the pre-Pentecost days were taken away because God is the same, yesterday, today, forever. But somehow 10 billion uh, kilowatts of divine energy is released into the world at that point to launch the church, to equip the church, to empower the church, to set about doing what? Fulfilling God's purposes on the earth for us. If then... How much more now? If God's people experience privileges and powers and blessings in the Holy Spirit before the floodgates of Pentecost opened, if that was true for then, for them in the, in the Old Testament, as it were, pre-Pentecost pre times, if then, how much more now? 
How much more now as we read our Bibles? And yet, here are those challenging words from A.W. Tozer. Some of you know them. If the Holy Spirit were absent from about 90% of what the Western church does today, no one would know the difference. So, he he goes on, so self-sufficient and powerless have we become. And we need to hear warnings like that. Okay, that's not a biblical warning, that's Tozer. We need to hear that, though. We need to hear, Jesus spent a lot of time warning people. A lot, of, a lot of his teachings about warning. We need to hear the warnings. And here is a really powerful warning for us in our educated uh, Western, Western setting. That, that danger of self-sufficiency. We don't have uh, time to do a sweep through the Old Testament. The the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament makes a great Bible study. Have you done that? Just go through references to the Spirit. What's the Spirit doing in the Old Testament pre-Pentecost times? Just a a, a real quick skim through in 30 seconds. Remember, he's right there at the beginning. He doesn't somehow sort of get created or invented uh, in the New Testament. He's right there at the beginning, hovering over the waters, Genesis 1. He's ever-present, Psalm 139. David says, where could I go? Even if I wanted to get away from your presence, I couldn't because you're there. There's no way you're not. Holy Spirit is given uh, to Bezalel. Remember him? The first person in the Bible is described as being full of the Holy Spirit. I love this. He was an artist. He was involved in decorating the tabernacle. Exodus 31, the first man to be filled with the Spirit. And then, of course, he's there empowering prophets to, to do their thing, to speak out. He's there enabling kings, the good ones anyway, to rule. He's giving courage and wisdom to Joshua, in whom is the Spirit of God says the scripture. He's instructing Nehemiah. He's comforting Elijah. He's working miracles of all sorts through the hands of Moses and Gideon and Samson and the rest of them. So he's there all through. Holy Spirit falling on particular people in particular places for particular purposes, creating and sustaining and being present and giving gifts and so on. That's what he does. It's what he's always done. It's what he's always done. And it's how he wants to be in partnership with his people. So again, I say, if then... How much more now? What is our expectation? What is our experience, but also what is our expectation? The dam has burst. We live in what you could call the age of the Spirit, the last days. The Bible's clear. We're living in the last days. There's no big move of God, major event to happen before Jesus returns. We're living in the age of the Spirit. The Father sends the Son to save us from death. The Son sends the Spirit to empower us for life. There's the gospel right there. right there (coughs) and life in in every aspect every part so there is Acts 2 this account this amazing world changing day the Holy Spirit is nothing less than the powerful presence of God himself given to us the people of God to fulfill the purposes of God Briefly remind ourselves at the end of the sentence, what are the purposes of God? Well, again, we could spend many sessions thinking about that, but the purposes of God, one of the ways I love to see it, because the Bible says it in Ephesians 1, is that God is gathering a family. You hear us say it here quite often. That's what he's up to. It's one of the ways of understanding what is God doing in the world now? Not what did he do then? What's he doing now? Answer, he's gathering a family. Ephesians 1 says, his unchanging plan, it's not changed, it's always been the same, It's not thought, oh, I've got a new plan. No, this is always the plan. From the very beginning, it's been to adopt us, people, into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. He's gathering a family that will love him, love each other, be transformed, become more like Jesus one day, spend eternity with him in heaven. We're built for relationship. Or in the language of uh, this chapter, Acts 2, look down, verse 21, the last verse of the chapter, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. 
Good reminder, by the way, that we need saving. Let's not lose that biblical language from our vocabulary. We need saving. Every human being who's ever walked the planet needs saving. Saving from the consequences of our own orientation towards ourself and sin and independence and, and self-obsession and all the rest. We can't save ourselves. So there's his big agenda. This is God's big agenda to save us, to, to gather people into his family from every tribe and nation. Again, reminder, don't you love that Pentecost happens at this time when all the, or many of the known world tribes and nations were there, gathered. It's not an accident. That's when it happens. By the way, it's also a religious festival, 50 days on from the Passover, celebrating harvest. Again, not, a, not an accident. The, the, the imagery of harvest, people being brought in. And the main way, of course, that God has chosen to fulfill this agenda, to fulfill his purposes is to enlist those who are already in the family to be the agents carrying the presence of God, carrying the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill this work. That's what Pentecost is about. He commissions us, and the final words of, Jesus, of Matthew 28, go make disciples and so on. And then Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. You. You will be my witnesses. You'll be the ones. And by the way, it was 10 days after the ascension. It wasn't 50 <laughs> in the quiz earlier. You'll be my witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who points to something. They say, I've got experience of something. I've seen something. I've heard something. I can tell you about something. It's that. That's what they do in a course of life. I'm, I'm giving evidence about that. And you'll be my witnesses. What are we giving evidence to? Our experience, our understanding, our awareness of who Jesus is, what he's done. But then Jesus says, of course, but... Don't think for a minute to these early followers that you can live this life that I've called you, that you can fulfill, fulfill any of these purposes that God the Father has. Don't think that you can do any of that until you get equipped, until you receive the power that you need to do it. So wait, that favorite word of ours, wait, 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 until you get that power. He's called the Holy Spirit because you need him. Don't fall for the lie that you already know enough or that you're educated enough or that you're smart enough or good-looking enough or you can run great programs or, you know, because you're British or, or whatever. You need power. Tell you, pause. Tell yourself right now, I need power. I need, we need power. We, the church of Christ, we need God's power. It's why he sent the Spirit. So why would we ever think that we could do anything without him? To each of you who wants to receive him, says the text. This is personal, individual. There is a collective aspect to that, but I can't, uh, I, I can't borrow your anointing. I can't you know, ride off the back of your experience of the Holy Spirit as much as I can be inspired by that. This is tongues of flame rested on each of them, it says, not on the roof which covered everybody. By the way, the Holy Spirit does fill places and not just people. I noticed that in the text. He filled the place where they were, not just the people within it. Interesting. We could ride that hobby horse today, but we won't. Everyone who calls on my name qualified. So here's Peter quoting one of the, the Old Testament prophecies. You know it well in this part, eyes down, verse 17, 18, Joel chapter 2. He's quoting, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people, because he's not racist. Men and women, because he's not sexist. Young and old because he's not ageist, slaves and free, because he's not elitist. And in case you think it's just for the first century believers, check out verse 39. Know this promise, he says, of the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit is not just for you, it's for your children and all who are far off. I love it when I see all those who are far off in the scriptures, when it crops up a few times, doesn't it? Because that includes me 
and you. The Holy Spirit is the powerful presence of God given to the people of God to fulfill the purposes of God. So a few obvious things to to, to question ourselves about that. So what is our experience of the Holy Spirit? Let's continue to go on asking that rather than making assumptions just because we're a particular kind of church that gets labeled with things like charismatic and whatever. And so we we all must understand what that means. We all must have experienced the same thing. Absolutely not. Here we are, a couple of hundred people in the room and our experiences will be different. What is your experience of this? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? When did that happen? What was it like? What's your expectation? What have you seen? What do you think of the power of the Spirit? We've got to keep asking ourselves these questions, anchoring ourselves in the Scripture to check that we're not going off beam, but allowing him the fullness of what he wants to do rather than riding on the assumptions of, well, we we know about this because this is who who we are. I know, too many questions for now, but Pentecost stirs us up, doesn't it? And wouldn't it be a great bit of stirring up? Wouldn't it be a sign of wonderful spiritual health in us if... The Holy Spirit was himself stirring a desperation for them all. That would be a sign of spiritual health. We don't want to get down on ourselves and go, oh, why is it happening in Kenya or not here? And all that. that's, not, that's not the point. The enemy wants us to be down on ourselves. But we need to, to be inviting the Lord to make us more desperate and to pray those prayers, more Lord, more Lord. And we continue to pray them. Pray them at Kingdom Come here on Wednesday, on Wednesday night this week. Do keep joining us for those gatherings. But in our individuals, families, groups, households, let's be, let's be praying. Because there is not a single problem or challenge that we face. Think about, think, name one problem in your head. There's a problem whether it's for you or the world, whatever, there is not a single problem or a challenge that we face, let alone this assignment to be the witnesses for Jesus that is our purpose, to which the first answer isn't more of the Lord's power. To every problem and every challenge, the first answer is always more of the Lord's presence and power. To lead us and heal us and equip us and encourage us and help us. Three things about how his power manifests itself from uh, these words, these these passages here. Uh, Clearly, that power sometimes comes suddenly. Uh, Tim uh, Benton referred to a storm last night. Um, Apparently, it was an absolutely enormous storm. It was a suddenly storm, and I completely missed it. And as he was saying that, and Hill had said it just a couple of minutes, did you hear the storm last night? I'm going, no, I completely missed it. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I missed a suddenly that's one thing to miss a rainstorm in the middle of the night. It's another thing to have no expectation that God does suddenly and, to, and therefore to miss them or not even be interested. We were in, um, this is going to be a bit of name dropping here. We, we were in the middle of the Borneo jungle, <laughs> you know, as you are. Uh, There's you know, a bit of a sort of blowout holiday a few years ago. We found ourselves in the middle of the, of the jungle in Borneo in this place where it really rains. And I had prayed, God, I associate with the Borneo jungle with rain. So please, can it rain? But I wasn't expecting what happened. I mean, it did. Man. Yeah, we talk about raindrops. Forget that. What's a wall of water that just sort of drops down from the sky cool for a while? It was absolutely extraordinary. And of course, it drenches everything, and it's, it's exciting and chaotic and, and remarkable. Really stunning. The Holy Spirit of God does suddenly, dam bursts, literally heavening, heaven opening, and a downpour of his power in a, in a moment or in an event. And here's Pentecost, it's wind and fire and supernatural ability to speak in tongues. And of course, these are the things in many ways that make the best stories. It's why we, it's why we tell them, it's, you know, there's, there's something to tell. Here's a testimony of, of God's power. And we must, and we'll carry on doing it unashamedly. 
Do you think they weren't talking about Pentecost power? Of course they were. So we're going to carry on talking about the suddenness of God that we, that we experience. Um, trying to think if there are any stories that, that Kev didn't. So there was a, fin- there was a financial provision. He, he shared a couple of stories. I'll just tell another quick one. There was this guy who uh, wanted to come, was very concerned about coming to the, the leader, coming to the gathering. He'd received a call from his son to say his son couldn't get home because he had no money to get home um, on the public transport from his school a long way away because it was the half-term break. And the, and the man literally had not a penny in the house. He didn't have any money to enable his son to come from several hundred miles away back home. And he's praying, wondering what to do, wondering if he'd have to leave the conference where we were. And then in that moment, as he was praying and, and thinking about it, the, his phone went off and they use electronic money transfer a lot in Kenya. And, and a, an unexpected gift came through to his phone in that moment. He was able electronically to transfer it to his son and his son could come home. It was a beautiful suddenly. It relieved him of the anxiety of the moment, like Kev was saying, so that man could then concentrate and be part of the, the training for the next three and a half days. God suddenly... John White, uh, I mean, you, you've got your own suddenly stories, and you'll probably remember some that, for, from other testimonies. There's a guy called John White, and he was precious to me because he was an author and speaker and writer and that sort of thing um, back in the day in my rather more conservative heritage growing up where I wasn't really sure about all of these things, and nor was he, and many of his early books were, 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 were great and worthy books, but they didn't include much about the suddenly power of the Holy Spirit. Here's his testimony of something that happened to him. He said, on one occasion... As I was praying with the elders and deacons in my home, I tried to teach them what worship was, and we then turned to prayer, and perhaps partly to be a model to them, I began to express worship, conscious of the poverty of my words. And then suddenly, notice the word, I saw in front of me a column of flame, about two feet in width, and it seemed to arise from beneath the floor and to pass through the ceiling of the room. I knew without being told, I just knew by some infallible kind of knowing that transcended the use of my intellect, and he was a brainy guy, that I was in the presence of the God of holiness. And in stunned amazement, I watched a rising column of flames in my own living room while my brothers remained with their heads quietly bowed and their eyes closed. And he, he, he carries on saying the story. He actually hid under the dining room table. I felt that I was in the presence of a reality and that my brothers were asleep. For years afterwards, I couldn't speak of the incident until much later. The others who were present couldn't have perceived the blend of stark terror and joy that threatened to sweep me away. How could I live seeing what I saw? That scale of suddenly. Garbled words of love and worship tumbled out of my mouth as I struggled to hang on to my self-control. I was no longer trying to worship. Worship was undoing me, pulling me apart. And to be pulled apart was both terrifying and yet full of joy and full of glory. He wrote that in a book called When the Spirit Comes with Power. And what he wrote subsequently after that experience doesn't bear much relation, by the way, to what he wrote um, before that experience. Really interesting. In my own story, there was a, uh, a suddenly in about 1994, short, very shortly before we came here, uh, where Toronto was in full swing, if you know something about the Toronto Blessing, and we'd, uh, the, the, the vicar of the church where we were at the time had been out there, and he came back, and he gave a quite a powerful testimony, and for the first time, really, I think, I think God had been working in our midst, but for the first time, there was this sort of hunger and, and, a, and a sense of anticipation about what, was, what God was going to do. Subsequently, I went out there, but that night, uh, it's before mobile phones and everything, Hills tells the story, I didn't get back home uh, until about midnight I think or half 11 or something from the evening celebration because I spent the five hours on the floor at the front of the church just having been struck by the suddenly presence of the Holy Spirit of God and fired up in a whole new way that was utterly transformative so there are suddenlies there are so many suddenlies and 
Um, we need to keep praying for them and keep being open to them. But there are steadily too. need to move on. There are steadily too, aren't there? By the way, even as I wrote that this morning, I was walking down. Sorry, I'm sorry for the, other, the next name drop, but I haven't been to Lord's for 30 years. My father-in-law is a member, and yesterday, for the first time, he invited me. I was at Lord's Test Match yesterday, and there's Ben Stokes, um, if you know him, this swashbuckling cricketer. Uh, doing a lot of steadilies, ones and twos, just accumulating runs, lots of steadilies. And then just from time to time, decide I've had enough of this, and just swatting the ball away for a six. Just, sorry, cricketing metaphor. For those who love cricket, the, the steadilies and the suddenlies. Here's uh, an, uh, that quote from The Wind in the Willows, Kenneth Graham, the rat's talking to the mole about his home. And mole says, I beg your pardon, you must think me very rude, but this is so new to me. So this is a river, and the rat says, the river. And you really live by the river, says the mole. What a jolly life. And the rat says, by it, and with it, and on it, and in it. It is brother and sister to me, and aunts, and company, and food, and drink, and naturally washing. It's my world, and I don't want any other. What it hasn't got is not worth having, and what it doesn't know is not worth knowing. Lord, the times we've had together, says the rat. We are river dwellers, friends. The Bible is pretty clear about that, isn't it? Wind, fire, water. We are river dwellers, not, not pond feeders. The people of God are people of the life-giving river of the Holy Spirit. And we are to immerse ourselves again and again and again and again in that presence. But there's something steadily about the river, isn't there? There's something, a river, a river flows usually sort of steadily and, and along it goes. It's not just a quick splash at a conference or a quick dose of something on a Sunday here or, you know, quick whatever there. It's, there's something continuous about that. The Bible speaks about the immersion in the life-giving river of the Spirit. John 14, the water I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A sense of continual replenishment. Ezekiel 47, where the river flows, there's life. There's a river, Psalm 46, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where what? The most high dwells. sense of the presence of God. I'm just drawing attention to this, the steady, the steady activity of the Holy Spirit. So straight after the suddenly power of, of, of Pentecost, again, eyes down on Acts 2, this dramatic, you know, swashbuckling, stoking it for six moment of the Holy Spirit, we've got the steady power of the Holy Spirit, enabling them to do what? To organize themselves. Seems quite routine by contrast, but they needed to organize themselves. They needed to get themselves uh, uh, you know, t- together. And how are we going to work this out? In all, the power of the Spirit to, to share generously as they did, to love each other deeply as they did extraordinarily, to take care of each other's needs in sacrificial ways, to witness boldly, sure, about what they'd experienced, especially as there was opposition. This is no less the power of God at work. It may not look as spectacular, but it's still the work of the Holy Spirit. We've got to hold both together. Again, in Kenya, we commissioned the, after these extraordinary events of last week, we commissioned this bunch of, of leaders, 50 or so uh, leaders going out, now each to lead uh, groups in their, in, in the whole, across the whole of the diocese, and we pray in a transforming kind of a way. Uh, and we're praying the power of God on them for the suddenness, but also that steady work of being immersed in the river, depending on the life of the Spirit, so that roots go down deep in Jesus, and lives get transformed, and people get drawn in, and the family grows. So when you resist temptation, when you stay standing, because that's all you can do when life sucks, but you're still standing, when you pay the cost of serving others, when you choose worship when you don't feel like it and you're depressed, 
When you're able to forgive somebody from the heart, release them to the Lord. That is evidence of the steady, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. I haven't got time to tell the story, a beautiful story of Gideon, young man, uh, again last week, who, uh, as I was demonstrating being filled with the Spirit, I had a, a glass of water, I was pouring a jug of water into this glass, except there was a covering on the glass, so it was spilling everywhere, and the glass was not being filled, and I was saying, one of, there are obstacles sometimes being filled with the Spirit, and one of the main ones is unforgiveness. This guy absolutely broke down. Uh, 30 years, he'd had an abusive relationship with his father between the ages of 8 and 28. He'd basically been robbed of his childhood by a dad who didn't love him in the way that he should have done. And he'd begun the journey of forgiveness, but it absolutely broke him. And he was, there were some suddenlies and some steadlies. I haven't got time to tell the story, but a wonderful, wonderful breakthrough in the life of that young man. As God, you know, in, in ministry with others, as we prayed with him and for him, and I just held him for a long, long period of time. It was just beautiful as the father just began to communicate his love for him, and as he then began to be able to release the judgment that he held over his father to God uh, that enabled his own tank to be, to be filled. Breakthroughs, the suddenly, the steadily presence of the, the Holy Spirit of God. John Piper, we can and should rely on his daily indwelling and grace, his ordinary power to walk in the obedience of faith, and yet pray day and night for the extraordinary outpouring of power from on high. The next line, last, last one, sovereignly, I go quickly here. The next line of that quote goes like this, but we cannot make the Holy Spirit come. He comes sovereignly because he's sovereign. We can't make it happen as much as we'd like to. We cannot make the Holy Spirit come. He is gloriously free. The air that we breathe is like the omnipresence of God, his presence everywhere, then it seems to me that the wind is like the manifest presence of God. Do you get the analogy there? The way that we experience his power and his goodness and the wind of the Holy Spirit blows where he will. Can we make the Holy Spirit come in power? No, we can't. Any more than the sailor can make the wind come uh, as he's setting sail. I'm a useless sailor. I've capsized every time I've been in a boat. So I don't understand anything about sailing, but I'll risk the metaphor. I think you can position yourself for the coming of the wind even if you can't make it come. What did they do? Last couple of things, just bring practical. What's our part in this? Well, from the, there's other things, but from these chapters, uh, verses, eyes down. One, they stayed together. Unity matters. It's not a solo thing. Unity matters. It's no coincidence. They stayed together. They trusted God's word to them. Jesus had said it. They trusted the word. He's going to deliver on his promise. Is that your stance? Will God deliver on his promise? Are we trust, even if it doesn't, the evidence speaks to the contrary at the moment. Will we continue to stand on God's word, God's word and what he, what he said to us? They waited patiently, but not passively. They waited persistently, and they prayed their socks off constantly, faithfully. Got this mental image of the, this, this ragtail bunch of people who are pretty motley crew, just like us, in all of their humanness and their diversity and their difference and probably a bit squared, a bit apprehensive, and they didn't know what was going to happen. But the one thing that they knew how to do, the one thing that they kept doing, they prayed all of the time, gathering together to pray, because they knew it was the Lord's work, and only the Lord could do it. It's their default position, prayer as first resort, not last. Final water story. Sorry, I've trespassed on my time. Final water story. I cannot persuade my family to watch this film. It is one of the best films ever made. It's in my top three. You ask me what my favorite film is, it's this one. But I can't persuade my family. They still haven't watched it after 20-something years. Probably because it's in French and they don't like French. And they, 
don't do subtitles. Jean de Florette, remember, seen that film? Who, hands up, seen the film? Marvellous. That means that all but six of you have got the best film that you've never seen to watch, okay? He is a man here. I'm going to plot spoil it though, sorry. He inherits this, Jean inherits this rundown farm in a, in a part of rural Provence about, I don't know, 80 years ago. He sets about restoring it, planting stuff. He's got this vision and this dream to create a kind of paradise. And he gets animals and, and he's optimistic and he's positive and he works his socks off. He's really diligent and initially it goes really, really well and everything sort of begins well. But, plot, plot spoiler, it completely fails in the end. It falls flat because the heat wave comes and it dries everything up and it kills all the animals and it kills the plants. And actually, just before it kills Jean himself through exhaustion, he says this, I thought I was clever because he was an educated guy. But in fact, he said, I was blind. I was blind to my biggest problem, water. Without constant water, it couldn't work. Because it turns out that there was a, a source of water which he had underestimated. And the irony is that the water source which was nearby had been blocked up by his evil enemies, his, his neighbours who live next door who were out to, to rob him. Such a powerful image, such a powerful film in that respect in the story. Without water, without the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit of God in suddenlies and in steadilies, it just doesn't work. Jesus says so. Without me, you can do nothing. And there's an enemy who wants to rob us, and there's an enemy who wants to cut us off from the water and imagine that it's all fine if we just do it ourselves. The powerful presence of God, given to the people of God to fulfill the purposes of God. So I'm asking, and I know that we're giving our amen to this, that he would stir us up, church, Trinity Church, Trinity family. We can't make him come, but we can position ourselves, and we need to. And we need to, I'm just believing for this to be a season where we will really lean in. <laughs> And we'll be asking, we'll be dependent, we'll be asking for the Lord of the more to come in power.